I think I'm supposed to come up here now. <laughs> I think. Good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. If you are a guest of ours, you are our honored guest this morning. I feel like I need to explain like what's coming next now. You know? I'm going to say some things. You're going to stay awake and pay attention. That's how the next you know, 20 or 25 minutes is going to go at least. Uh, change is good. I'm all for change. Uh, I think I talked last week or two weeks ago about things that don't change, but everything else is kind of open. Also, you'll notice um, the title to my lesson today is Why Am I Here? And if you were paying attention about three weeks ago, I began a lesson with that same question, Why Are You Here? In that context, though, I was talking about why are you literally here in the room? Why'd you come to church this morning? What's the reason that we have for coming back to faith? This morning, I, I, I want to step back about 10,000 feet and take a look at that same question from a much larger context. Kind of talk about why are we here? What are we doing here in this world? What are we doing, you know, walking around on the planet? And to help set up some thoughts this morning, I want to share some very deep insights from two of my very favorite uh, contemporary theologians, Calvin and Hobbes. Calvin and Hobbes are walking down a sidewalk, and Calvin says, let's say life is this square of the sidewalk. We're born at this crack, and we die at that crack. Now, we find ourselves somewhere inside the square and in the process of walking out of it, and suddenly we realize our time here is fleeting. Is our quick experience here pointless? Does anything we say or do in here really matter? Have we found anything important? Have we been happy? Have we made the most of these precious few footsteps? And then the final panel is Calvin and Hobbes paralyzed with fear, kind of wondering what life is all about and if their life really does have any meaning. You know, if you've lived long enough, everybody on the planet eventually starts asking a few questions. What am I doing here? What's, what's my purpose? What, what is my life supposed to be about? Where do I find meaning in life? And the way am I, living, am I, I am living my life, is that consistent with what I really want to get out of life? Toward the end of the last century, uh, a guy by the name of Hugh Moorhead, a philosophy professor at Northeastern University, wrote a book. And he had a very interesting premise for the book. Um, all he did really was contact about 250 of kind of the leading movers and shakers and thinkers and writers at the end of the last century and asked them the one simple question, what's the meaning of life? And his book was a little bit interesting and a little bit depressing because most of the people that he contacted replied to him saying one of two things. One, I don't know what the meaning of life is. Or two, as far as I can tell, there is no real meaning of life. We're not, we don't really have any kind of purpose here. For instance, Nitschke said, life is an, is an unprofitable episode that disturbs an otherwise blessed state of non-existence. If you understand that, that's a little bit depressing. Fred Allen said, life is a slow walk down a long hall that gets darker as you approach the end. Again, a little bit depressing. 
How about this one by a guy by the name of Michael Ananiah? I don't want to retreat into the justly despised positivism, but to question the meaning of life proposes its own answer. Life, if you think of it as an assertion of meaning and process, always exceeds assigned meaning. To offer a parody of technical language, the set of all meanings is included in life, which in additional meaning so expands the set by hyposet, and so forth. So any statement, any such question expands the frame exponentially, so obviously the meaning of life is meaning. Cleared up? Right? That's why I don't hang out with smart people. Because I don't really think they're that smart sometimes. But sometimes some really smart people will tell you, I'm not exactly sure what the meaning of life is. I'm not exactly sure why we're here on this planet. Interestingly, a little over 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul talks pretty plainly about who we are and why we're here. Open up your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 10, where we're going to kind of land this morning. It's one of my favorite verses. Paul says this, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, in that one short sentence, Paul does a pretty good job of answering the question of what is life all about? Why are we here? He really tells us everything we need to know about ourselves and our life, the who and the why. It's right there. Who are we? Well, I'll tell you who you aren't. You aren't the product of some cosmic accident. You aren't the result of some single-cell amoeba that climbed out of primordial slime you know, a couple millions of years ago. Paul says that we are God's workmanship. Paul says that you are created by God. Has anybody ever told you, you are a real piece of work, you know that? <laughs> you are. You're God's piece of work. God created you. God made you. You were designed by God to live in God, to work for God. Now you think about that. You were designed by God. I think I got it coming here. Here we go. You're not here by an accident. And what that means is you need to seize the opportunity to live the life that God intends you to live. And we, not, we might as well buy into that because we're never going to be anyone else. We are unique. Our personalities, our body, our, our temperament, your mind, your sense of humor, your DNA, all of those things were designed by God. You know, one day, the same God that dreamed up the Milky Way and the same God that imagined all the galaxies and every single black hole and the same God that imagined the mountains and valleys and sunsets and rainbows, that same God imagined you being part of His creation. And I know that I'm beginning to sound a little bit like Mr. Rogers here, but it really is true. You are special, and you are unique. You're God's workmanship. You are here because God decided, decided he wanted a you in his universe. David gets it, by the way. Back in the Old Testament, Psalms 139, David said, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. David said, this is a reason for praise. 
I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And we look at creation and we understand God is a marvelously creative God. And one of His marvelous creations is me. One of His marvelous creations is you. You are God's workmanship. And that's why to compare yourself to anyone else is so misguided. And it's dangerous on so many levels to devalue the life that God's given you. So we need to quit comparing ourselves to someone else because everyone else is one of God's workmanship as well. A newer translation says, a masterpiece of God. You know, all the way back in the Old Testament, when you, we take a look at uh, God using Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery, Moses has a conversation with the Israelite people talking about who God is and why God is blessing them the way that He is. And he says this in Deuteronomy chapter 7, The Lord did not set His affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath He swore to your forefathers that He brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping His covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love Him and keep His commandments. What did Israel do to cause God to set His affection on them? And remember, Moses is talking to people that all they've known in their lifetime is slavery and oppression. And he asked them, what is, what is it that, God, that, that we did to cause God to set His affection on us, the Israelites? They had no army. They had no wealth. They had no great numbers. Moses tells them, the Lord your God is God. He's the faithful God keeping His covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love Him and keep His commands. Augustine once wrote, God loves each of us like there's only one of us and there's nothing any of us can do about it. And he's right. God didn't set His affection on you because you're so clever or because you're so smart or because you have so much talent or even because you're so good. God set His affection on you because He's God. And He's love. And it's, it's grace. It's what we've been talking about this year. It's grace. God is a gracious God. He set His affection on you because you're His workmanship. And you need to quit comparing your life and your condition and your achievements and, and your body and to anyone else and embrace the, la the fact that, that you're here because God wanted a you to be here. Then you go back to Ephesians chapter 10, or chapter 2, verse 10. Paul goes on. He says, not only did God design you, not only were you made by God, you were made to live in God, to grow in God. Paul says that we were created, he used great, great language here, we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. You were created by God, but you were created in Christ Jesus. And this is interesting. Do you know how many times Paul quotes Jesus directly? Paul, who dominates the second half of the, the, the New Testament, 
Paul who, who wrote so much, spoke so much, Paul who is so obsessed with Jesus, you know how many times he directly quotes Jesus? Three times. Acts and 1 Corinthians. Paul only quotes Jesus three times, but over 160 times, Paul is going to use the phrase, in Christ. Because Paul is acutely aware that we live in Christ, and Christ lives in us. He'll say it over and over again. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We were created in Christ Jesus. Maybe you heard the story about the mother who takes her little five-year-old girl to the pediatrician for a checkup, and the doctor is trying to make the little girl feel at ease, and so he, he looks into her ear and he said, you think we'll see Big Bird in here? The little girl said, no, Big Bird's not in my ear. He looks down her throat and he said, you think we'll see the cookie monster in here? She said, no, the cookie monster's not down my throat. He takes out his stethoscope and he puts it on her heart and said, you think we'll uh, hear Barney in your heart? She said, no, Barney's not in my heart. Jesus is in my heart. Barney's on my underwear. That's kind of it, right? I mean, it's not that complicated. She got it. We're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. And because of that, God knows each of us. He knows exactly what we need. He knows exactly where we are and what we're going through, our situation. Now think about how differently through Scripture God treated people. He dealt with people so differently. John Ortborg writes this. God had Abraham take a walk. Elijah take a nap. Joshua take a lap. Adam take the rap. God gave Moses a 40-year time out. He gave David a, a harp and a song. He gave Paul a pen and a scroll. He wrestled with Jacob, argued with Job, whispered to Elijah, warned Cain, and comforted Hagar. He gave Aaron an altar, Miriam a song, Gideon a fleece, Peter a name, Elisha a mantle. Jesus was stern with the rich young ruler, tender with the woman caught in adultery, challenging with his disciples, blistering with the scribes, gentle with children, gracious with the thief on the cross. And that's true. Think of all the ways that God treats people, which kind of makes the point of God's a hand crafter, not a mass producer. You have been handcrafted, not mass-produced. There's six-some billion people on the earth, but you've been handcrafted. You are God's workmanship, and now it's our turn to be that workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus. When you think about that, what, what the Scripture is saying is God has existed for all eternity. We know that. But what's going on between you and God right now is brand new. It's brand new to you, but it's brand new to God as well, because there's never been another you before. So the relationship, the, the, the interaction that you have with God, that's brand new to God, because there's never been another you. And some of the ways that he works in, in your life are going to be different than the ways he works in my life, because we have different circumstances in our lives, different talents, different opportunities. So don't compare yourself to me. 
Don't compare yourself to anyone for that matter, except for Jesus. You just ask God, how do you want me to grow? What do you want me to do? In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, don't hit your wagon to me. Don't hit your wagon to, to Apollos. Paul says, follow Jesus. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Okay, we talked about the who. What about the why? Why are we here? See, here's kind of the weird thing about this question. Everybody wants meaning in their life. I think everybody you talk to would say, I want my life to mean something. I want to stand for something. I want there to be some kind of purpose in my life. But we get this idea of, if I fill myself up, then, then I'm going to be happy. And it's so counterintuitive, because when we try filling ourselves up, we kind of end up empty. But when I, I let go of myself and kind of surrender that to God and say, God, how do you want to use me? God, how do you want me to help that person and that person and that person? When I start emptying myself, God starts filling me up. And I start finding that purpose and that meaning and that fulfillment that I think everyone's searching for. But we've got to be willing to be led by the Spirit. We've got to be willing to say, all right, God, you know, count me in. Whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, whoever you want me to talk to, my answer is going to be yes. Which, let me tell you what you already know, is much easier said than done. Because think about this. When in Scripture can you ever remember God giving someone an easy job to do? When did God ever go to someone and say, here's what I want you to do, and they said, oh, okay, no problem. Piece of cake. I can do that. No, when God goes to people and says, here's what I want you to do, their reaction is always, what? And there's always hesitancy and fear and a feeling of inadequacy. God said, I want you to go build an ark. I want you to go face down Pharaoh. I want you to, to protect my people. I want you to fight a giant. I want you to defend my people. And everyone's reaction is, wait a minute, that is way over my head. I can't do that. That's way above my pay grade. And that is out of my league. And God's answer is always, but I'm going to be with you. I'm going to make it happen. I just want you to be involved. Have you ever read through the, the New Testament and read a line that said, and lo, the disciples followed Jesus, and behold, they were bored. You ever read that in Scripture? No. They were never bored. Why? Because they were living this amazing adventure. Scared? Yeah. Confused? Sometimes. No. Hesitant? Sure. But never bored. Never boring. I think sometimes people miss out on the adventure of doing what God created us to do because we're trying to fill our lives up with what we think is going to matter. Comfort, success, or, or something. And it's just boring. It just gets to be boring. But God never created us to live a boring life. God didn't create us to kind of sit around just to see what happens next. Maybe you heard about the police officer who called his precinct one day and said, Sergeant, we've got a problem here. 
There's a woman here who shot her husband because he stepped on her mopped floor before the water dried. The, the precinct said, well, have you arrested the woman yet? And the officer said, not yet. Why not? The floor's still wet. <laughs> God didn't create us to wait around for the floor to dry. He didn't create us to sit around and you know do nothing until something happens. So what did He make us for? Well, look back at Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works in which God prepared in advance for us to do. So why are we here? We are here to ask the question, why doesn't this work? No, we are here. Let's get new batteries in this too. For crying out loud. Advance that for me, please. That next slide. We're here to ask the question where's the hurt? Where's the need? Where's their dream? Where's their possibility? Where's the Holy Spirit prompting me to get involved and do something in the life of someone else? Paul said, good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's the adventure with God. Who are we? We are God's workmanship. We're His masterpiece. Why are we here? Let me answer that by, by asking you another question. What if love God, love people, serve the world? What if that really was as important to us as Stay healthy, get ahead, have fun. What if that really was as important to us to stay healthy, get ahead, and have fun? Because I see an awful lot of people who put an awful lot of effort and time and resources into staying healthy, getting ahead, and having fun. That's what we consume ourselves with. Now, what if we really believed the things that we talk about on Sunday mornings? What if we were really teaching our kids, this is what life is about? But they get so many different messages from us and others. You know, get good grades. Land a great job. Marry over your head. Now that, that's the message that we're teaching our kids. And there's nothing wrong with that message. But is that the most important message? Uh, you know, take care of your kids. Work hard. Pad your 401k. Love God. Love people. Love the people that God loves. Serve the world. Not a bumper sticker. It's not a slogan. It's what God's called us to be and what God called us to do. You're God's workmanship. You're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Why are you here? I'm here because God wanted me to be here. I'm His workmanship. What's your purpose? My purpose is to love God. To love people. To serve others. How are you going to carry out your purpose? And that's where it gets kind of fun and kind of neat. Because the way you carry out your purpose might be very different from the way I carry out my purpose. God's going to work through you in different ways than God's going to work through me sometimes. Because again, we're all unique. You've got talents that I don't have. And you have opportunities that I might not have. We all have our own different personalities. But again, we've got to be willing to let the Spirit lead us. They're good works to be done. And Paul says Christians need to do them. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. It's not the government's job. 
It's not the school system's job. It's not the preacher's job. It's not the elder's job. It's not somebody else's job. It's your job. It's my job as followers of Jesus. So, how's that working for you? Let me share one last visual image to, to help us think about this. When you think about it, there, there's two ways for people to, to get into a swimming pool or a lake. And really you can divide people into two different groups depending on how they get into the water when they want to go swimming. Some people take the incremental approach. Now, some people are the toe in the water first. Ooh, that's cold. And they have to think about it a long time. And then they'll put a foot in the water. And they'll go up to their ankles. And then they very slowly go up and up to their knees. And then they go in a little bit deeper. And they're finally up to their waist. And they're complaining the whole time. Right? And when they enter a pool, they don't make a splash. They don't make waves. They don't make a ripple. No one knows that they're entering the pool. They do it silently and painfully. That's how some people get into a pool. What's the other way to get into a pool? You walk to the deep end and you cannonball. Cannonballs are made for maximum impact. Cannonballs are meant to produce a splash. When somebody cannonballs, everybody in the pool knows it. People who are hesitant, they don't do cannonballs. Only people who are really excited to be in the pool, they do cannonballs. They make a splash. They get everybody's attention. I hope you see the analogy I'm trying to make here. I think maybe as individuals, Maybe it's a congregation. I think maybe it's time we roll up our sleeves, hike up our shorts, pull down our goggles, walk to the deep end, and cannonball. And just forget about all the excuses that we've always had for not doing something, all the fears that we've always felt about what might go wrong or how we might be taken advantage of or how it might affect something else all the ways we rationalize reasons for not doing what we know God has called us to do. Maybe it's just time to jump in with both feet. And I think the Apostle Paul would say, come on in. The water's fine. Uh, scary? A little bit. Uncertain? Yeah. But you won't be bored. It's a wonderful adventure that God is calling us to. Now, this would be a really bad place to end this sermon. Some of you are thinking there is no bad place to end the sermon, right? But this would be a bad place to end the sermon for me to be challenging us to, to jump in and do something and not remind us of some things that we could jump in and do. And by the way, there are a lot of you who have jumped in. And there's a lot of things being done collectively and individually uh, from this family to bring honor to the Father and, and to, to make a difference in the kingdom. And that's why I'm really proud to be a part of this family. But I want to remind you of a couple other things that you can have some opportunities for coming up. And you saw the video about the youth rally on April, on April the 8th. 
the youth group is going to be holding their annual youth rally. But Robbie and the teenagers made a decision that this year is going to be different. This year, instead of it being sort of an inward focus and, and building uh, uh, us up, which is great, they're going to turn their focus outward. And you saw in the video that their plan is to prepare meals for 10,000 people. And if you're like me when you first heard that, you're like, no, no. But you're going to do it, aren't you, Robbie? In fact, it's going to be more than 10. It's going to be getting closer to 15, I heard. Closer to 15,000 meals are going to be prepared. They're partnering with a group out of Orlando, Rise Against Hunger. And they're going to be here, this huge effort to, to uh, collect the, the foods. The food stuff has already been purchased to, um, to put it all together, and to box it up. And it's going to be shipped worldwide to end hunger. That's what our youth rally is going to be about this year. And not only that, but Robbie said, well, we need to be doing something in our community as well. And so these boxes that you see out here, these big, huge boxes, they're supposed to be getting filled up here in the next couple of weeks. And stuff that the uh, uh, kids' place right here in Lithia, a place for uh, children who have been abused and neglected, uh, some things that that ministry needs. So we're encouraging you, if you can, to pick up a, a flyer out there and, and take a look at what they need and maybe bring that back and put it in the box. If that's not uh, enough, uh, this afternoon or this morning, in 20 minutes, a representative from Family Promise is going to be in the uh, Family Life Center over here. Family Promise does a great work. They help homeless families, temporarily homeless families, people who have just been beat down by life, help them get back on their feet by providing housing and food and some life skills. And we're interested in, in learning more about that work and seeing if maybe that's something that we can't be able to partner with. And so uh, there's going to be a, an informational uh, meeting at 10 o'clock. If you, you want to sit in and, and hear what that's all about, uh, feel free to do that. All kinds of ways that God is opening up for us to make a difference in people's lives. Now, we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And it's time that we start asking, where's the hurt? Where's the need? What are the possibilities? Where's the Holy Spirit leading me? From one moment to the next, in simple trust, where's God leading? What's He placing before me? We were created by God to live in God, to work for God. And that's a pretty good life purpose, isn't it? Pretty good meaning to life.